0: prior to my wedding day, I don't know if you're going to believe this or not, but you're going to have to accept that I am not lying to you. Prior to my own wedding, prior to my wedding day, I had never been to a wedding before in my whole life. I had never, as far as I can remember, I don't know how I managed to get out of it, uh, but prior to my own wedding, I had never been to a wedding reception that I can remember. And so... On the day of my wedding, there was a moment uh, that I remember well. There's a few moments I remember uh, well. There was one that sticks in, in my mind. I was It was after the wedding ceremony and we were at the wedding reception and I was standing there minding my own business at my wedding reception when all of a sudden this big cake is wheeled out in front of me and then in an instant all the guests sort of gather in this big semi circle around me and my new beautiful wife sort of rushes to my side hands me a knife and says it's time for the cutting of the cake and you've got to remember i've never been to a wedding before and uh, i have no idea what this is about so I looked to Catherine and I said to her what is that? why what's with the cutting of a cake like what's the symbolism here and I will never forget what she said to me she looked at me and first of all she said get on with it the second thing she said to me is what's the symbolism what does this mean I don't know this is just something we always do like what does this mean the cutting of the cake I don't know what it means. I don't know the symbolism. This is just something we always do. Now you see that there? Isn't it true that we could say something very similar about a lot of things that happen in the life of a congregation? Isn't that true? There's a lot of things that we do at LCPC and a lot of things that happen in the church, a lot of things that we go along with. And we go along with these things and we do these things, perhaps without knowing exactly why these things exist and why we're doing these things. Well, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to consider what's called the Presbyterian government of the church. And this is my hope and prayer that by the time that we're finished with this this morning, that all of us in here will better understand Why LCPC does what it does in terms of the rule, the leadership, and the governance of the church. You with me? The Presbyterian government of the church. Sounds riveting, does it? It's better than it sounds, I promise you. And the first thing that, the first question that we need to try and wrestle with just now is this. See our congregation. Why at LCPC do we have such strong connections with other churches? Like, some of you are visiting us for the first time, are you today? Perhaps you're aware of this, maybe you're not. We are part of what's called a denomination. So we have really strong bonds with other churches. There's a network of churches called the Free Church. Why do we do that? Why are we not just an independent, isolated congregation? Why why do these why does why are we part of a denomination? What's that all about? To answer that, let's just start with some common ground. You probably agree with this, would you? That all Bible based and all evangelical churches believe a couple of things. They believe that Christ is the head and king of his church. Isn't that right? All evangelical Bible-based churches, they believe that Christ is head of the church. We believe that. Something else, probably, that all evangelical Bible-based churches believe. They believe Christ is head of the church, but also that Christ has handed the rule, the keys of the church, over to his people. Christ is head of the church, but he has handed the earthly governance of the church over to us. Okay? Now, there you go. We've got some common ground between Bible-based evangelical churches. The problems, of course, start when Christians try and decipher what that earthly governance of the church should actually be and what it should look like, the structures. So I wonder if you'd let me do this. Let me just mention the three main ideas that Christians have got. I reckon this probably covers most of it. Will you let me do this? Three ideas about governance. First is what's called congregationalism, isn't it? And that doesn't really need much explanation from your minister, does it? Pretty self-explanatory, congregationalism. It's what you see in independent churches and a lot of Baptist churches. And it's this idea that a congregation should be autonomous. Isn't that the idea? That a congregation shouldn't have any ties in terms of authority to other congregations. That a congregation should be absolutely sovereign in terms of its own decision-making. Okay? It's independency or congregationalism. With me? That's your first one. Second one is what we see in, let's call them hierarchical churches. So I'm thinking here about Anglican churches, of which we see loads in London. Can you agree? Or there's lots of South Americans in our congregation. You know a lot about the Roman Catholic Church. Hierarchical system. What do they believe? Anglicans is a hierarchical system. It's not congregationalism. No, they believe in a top-down system. Don't they? you've got one dude at the top a bishop although a bishop's probably never been referred to as a dude before but you have this man at the top a bishop and do you see how it's a top down system every bit of power and authority from the earthly governance flows down from this man do you see a hierarchical system of government so what do we have so far congregationalism hierarchical system. What's the third one? Come on. Presbyterianism. So what do we believe? What do we believe? you got to listen, please. We believe that though a lot of the decision-making should be made within the congregation, a lot of it, we believe that elders from various churches, various churches, should be meeting together to form a higher authority than the elders of the individual congregation itself. Can I say that again? Boys and girls, are you going to listen to me? Listen to your minister for a moment. We believe that elders from different churches should be meeting together to form a higher authority than the elders of the individual congregation themselves. Presbyterianism. Now what's the question on your lips? First, you're saying, that sounds a bit weird. Where do we get this from? Where do we get that from? Well the first thing I want you to bear in mind is how the New Testament uses the word church. And I will just turn this over to you just now. Okay, really simple thing for you to do. What springs to mind when you think of church, when you think of the church? Like, if you're anything like me, when I think of church, I think of you. (laughs) Like, I see this picture in my head right now, okay? I think of an individual local congregation. Is that what you think when you think of church from a New Testament perspective? Do you know what? If you do, it's bang on and it's right. Like, very often, when the New Testament speaks of church, it's speaking of Individual congregations like ourselves. Do you know that bit in Revelation, for instance, where Jesus says, to the church, to the congregation in Sardis, right. So we get it? Like in the New Testament, sometimes, this is the church. Here's the important bit. Please listen to me. Please. That sometimes when the New Testament speaks of church, it is referring to something that is much bigger. A much wider, a much greater than an individual congregation. I mean, think of it in Acts. Remember what Luke says in Acts? He says, persecution came to the church. Meaning what? Persecution came to all of the churches. All of the congregations in in Judea. And Samaria, do you see the point that I'm making from the New Testament point of view in the sight of our God? The church isn't just an isolated congregation. It's not just a separate congregation. No, these congregations are supposed to be wedded together. They're supposed to be bonded together. There is, from a New Testament perspective, the idea of the universal church. But then there is a second thing that we need to bear in mind, and for this I need you to do some work with me. So would you do this if you've not already got Acts fifteen open, would you turn there just now? Acts fifteen, that second reading that we had, page nine two three. And the boys and girls can take a little break from their worksheets. And I can ask the parents and those sitting beside the boys and girls to help them with this. I, at the beginning of Acts 15, I'm going to point out four Ds that I want you to see from the text. Let's see if you follow these. Acts 15, four Ds. The first is in verse 1. Have a look at verse 1. And consider the disagreement now do you see what happens some men come down from Jerusalem and they're teaching error aren't they they're teaching that new believers need to be circumcised and what happens there's a fight about it isn't there there's this argument that breaks out a theological argument breaks out in the church so you've got the first D's disagreement second D have a look at verses 2 and 3 You see a delegation. How do they deal with the disagreement? Do you see what happens? Paul and Barnabas. Now listen to this next phrase. Paul and Barnabas and elders from various congregations. They go up to Jerusalem for a meeting. Right? Third D. You ready for it? Look at verses 4 through to 18. Just skim over it, verses 4 to 18, and you see a debate, don't you? Look get 4 right the way through 18, all of these men, they get together, these delegates, these elders, and what do they do? They discuss this issue, and they argue about it, and they talk it through, and Paul speaks, and Barnabas speaks, and the Judaizers speak, and they speak, and they speak, and they debate it, all of these elders, and all of this comes to the fourth D that you see in verse 19 and 20. Have a look at verse 19 and 20. Look at it. You've got James and he's acting. He doesn't make the decision. He's acting as a moderator, if you like. He sums up everything. And what do they do, friends? What does this council in Jerusalem do? Did you notice that when Adrian read it out, they write a letter all of the congregations in the New Testament church. Now, what is the letter? Are they giving ideas to these congregations? Are they giving suggestions to all these congregations? Not a bit of it. This group of elders decrees centrally the practice of the universal church. And if you're following me, do you understand what you've got in your hands? Do you understand what Acts 15 is? It is the first New Testament presbytery meeting, isn't it? You have elders from various churches meeting together to form a higher authority than the elders of the individual church themselves. This is a presbytery meeting in Acts 15. And that is why, LCPC, we are not congregationalists. That is why we are not under a hierarchical system. I am not the boss. We do not have a bishop. Acts 15 is one of the reasons why we are a reformed Presbyterian congregation. Okay, second question. Let's move on. So we've seen the sort of bigger picture for church governance. Second question is this. Why at London City Presbyterian Church do we have a group of elders? Why am I not the boss? Why do we have a group of elders that are all on the same footing when it comes to authority? Did you see the question? Like One of the things that I love about the congregation, and I know that you love about the congregation here, is the variety of backgrounds that we've got so i don't how many how many nationalities do we have in here i don't 25 different nationalities something like that just now and because of that what i know is that a lot of you are used to different setups and systems for church rule isn't that right some of you in here are used to an anglican system in a previous congregation and so what are you used to you're used to having a vicar, with wardens underneath him to deal with the practical stuff, the material stuff. Some of you, a lot of you, are used to a Baptist setup of church government, aren't you? Now that varies in Baptist churches, but in the main, you'll have a pastor, and then you'll have a group of deacons to deal with the material, practical running of the church. Why do we not do that? Why am I not the boss? Why does it work? Like, why do we have a group of elders? Well, like, then, I need to ask you to help me with this and to work. So, let's look at Titus chapter 1. So let's look back there. What was it? 998? Nine, nine, Titus 1. 998. Now give you a second. Let me remind you what's going on here. So, Paul, is writing to Titus about the running and the rule of the church. Now, this is what I want you to look at. Boys and girls, you look at this as well, please. What does Paul say to Titus about the church at the end of verse 5? Do you see it? Paul says to Titus, he says, Now, this is what you must do, Titus. Appoint elders in every town, as I direct you as I have directed you now I don't know about you isn't it interesting what he doesn't see Paul does this is what I would expect Paul to say perhaps this is not this is what he doesn't see he doesn't see Titus see these little towns and the churches that we've planted in these places appoint a good guy in there Appoint a wise man in there to help. Appoint an elder in that church. He doesn't see that. What does he see? Say? He says, "No." And see that town, that small town. See the church. of appoint elders, plural. Saint this man, "Make sure you do this. This is ever so important. Appoint plurality of elders." And you see that idea. That's everywhere in the New Testament. Many of you know the beginning of Paul's letter to the Philippians, do you? Do you remember Paul's writing to a congregation like us, but in Philippi? And how does he begin the letter? Do you remember it? He says to the deacons and to the elders, plural, in that congregation of Philippi. And do you know what? It's the same in Acts 14, and it's the same in First Thessalonians five, and I could go on, but I'm sure you see the point. Do you see the point? There is, in the New Testament an expectation that a congregation will be run by a plurality of elders on the same footing. more than one guy, a plurality of elders. Now, if you've had your caffeine this morning, if you've had your Wheatabix, maybe you see the objection that some people have to this. Do you? Do you see the pushback that some people have? Some people say, yes, a plurality of elders is biblical, but perhaps these men are to serve under the oversight of a bishop. You see the argument? Yeah, okay, the Bible says there's got to be a plurality of elders, but maybe there are to be underneath a, a, a sovereign power of an elder, or a pope, or, or something like that, right? How would we answer that? Listen, the terms that the Bible uses for elder and bishop refer to the same office. You look at that in Scripture, it is abundantly clear the term for elder The term for bishop are just different ways about speaking about the same role. They're interchangeable terms. So I'm asking, are you with me? Do you see the big picture? Do you see the pattern that Almighty God has set out for the governance of the church? Do you see it? We are to be governed, yes, by elders outside the congregation. But here, a London City Presbyterian Church, we are expected to have a plurality of elders on equal footing governing the local church that is, I firmly believe, friend the pattern that God has given to us, the church so we see the big picture of Presbyterianism we see why we've got, why it's not just me and then the third question is this what responsibilities do these men have? What responsibilities do the elders at London City Presbyterian Church have? The elders hate this bit, I'm sure, perhaps. Um, We love it. Probably for all the wrong reasons. Isn't it the case that Christians thrive on criticising their office bearers we do this a lot we criticize these men we like to speak about what they should be doing and how they should be running the church and i'll say here before i get into this what i've said to you before and i will say to you again what you think and what i think doesn't really matter very much what we must be concerned about is what God wants from the eldership of his church. So what is that? Well, let me speak generally and then very specifically. Generally first, what are elders to do? Generally speaking, this is the job of an elder. You ready for it? Here's the job discussion very generally. An elder is to exercise spiritual oversight in a congregation. That is it in a nutshell. An elder is to exercise I could stop there and all the elders would panic. An elder is to exercise. That would not be so good. But an elder is to exercise spiritual authority in the church. It's an almost a supervisory spiritual role. An elder, the elders here are to oversee the congregation. Now, again, you might look at me and say, well that sounds okay, but where does it come from? Where do we get this idea? Lots of places in scripture, but just think about this. How does the New Testament describe elders? Think about some of the terms. Shepherds. Overseeing, leading, guiding the sheep. Or what about this? I love this. This is brilliant. This is so easy. How does the New Testament describe elders? Overseers. It kind of gives the game away. What's an overseer to do? Exercise spiritual oversight. Do you see it? What is the role? What do we want to see desperately? From elders in a Christian church, we want to see them exercising spiritual Oversight. Then we've got to get specific with that, I think, don't we? And so I'll just address the elephant in the room for a moment. This is, this here, I'm sure, Presbyterianism is alien to some of you, is it? I'm sure it is. To others in here, it is second nature, isn't it? Now, our people in this room just now have been born and brought up in presbyterian churches that that is all they have ever known and there's not a hint of criticism about that at all if that is you perhaps you are aware that there is a distinction the bible draws between two types of elders all the elders are on an equal footing when it comes to authority but based on First Timothy five and other places, there is a distinction between our elders. What's the distinction? You have on one hand ruling elders, don't you? Ruling elders. I could be <laughs> I could be really wicked, really cruel. And at this point I could get our ruling elders to stand up. Should I do that? No. I don't think I should. They would not thank me at all. You know who our ruling elders are. We've got Mr. Hafender, Mr Fraser, Mr. Bittner, Mr Diong. And in Orlando, Florida at the moment we have Mr. Amarim exercising oversight from afar. These are our ruling elders. Now what is their job specifically according to scripture? Well they're to rule. They're to teach to a certain degree. They're to visit. They're to care for. They're to comfort. Yes. But you know what lies at the very heart? foundationally of the role, these men are to pray. And are to pray for you. That's what you want. That's what you should encourage from your eldership. That these men exercise spiritual concern and authority through the ministry of prayer for you. You have ruling elders. What's the other side of the coin? Come on, what is the other... The distinction, ruling elders, and what else do we have? We have a teaching elder. Who's that? I laughed. I'm in the limelight. A moment of me now. A teaching. What is my job? I know if John Angus was here this morning, I know what John Angus would say my job is because I hear it all day. He would say, well, "You've got an easy job. You only work one hour a week, and that never gets old." I tell you. But in a sense, John Angus is right. Because what is the job of a teaching elder? Like yes, I have to dispense with the sacraments, and, and yes, to visit, and yes, to care, and absolutely, I am called to pray. But my job primarily is this. But I'm to stand here and I am to preach and teach the good news of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I wonder, friend, if you now, Christian, in here can answer the question. Because what you think, what I think, doesn't matter. But what does God want? What are the responsibilities of eldership? We are to care for you. But primarily we're to do it through the ministry of prayer prayer and through the ministry of the proclamation of god's word that is what you must demand from your eldership and then the last thing is this so we've seen a bit about presbyterianism haven't we and we've seen about why we've got a number of elders and we've seen what these guys we've got to do the last thing is really this what does any of this have to do with you Maybe you see why I have to ask this. It's kind of technical this morning, isn't it? Technical. How does this impact your life? You're going out to live for the Lord Jesus Christ tomorrow morning. Into the workplace, into university. What has this got to do with you? How does this change your life? I'm going to give you three ideas and then we're done. First is this. Friend, you really should value Presbyterianism. And from the bottom of my heart, I don't think we do. I I really don't think we do. Like, I hear it all the time. When people, we've we've got a transient congregation, people move on. When people move on, I know the attitude. I see it all the time. People move on and and say, well, I'll just go to uh, another church elsewhere. And as long as it is preaching the gospel... whatever that means to that church, then it's fine. This isn't really that important. I really want you to to understand it is important. I know that this is, in a sense, a secondary issue. You could argue with me this isn't a gospel issue and we could discuss that and that's fine. But, oh, friend, attending a church that is conducted under what are clearly biblical lines of authority and governance is ever so important to the welfare of your soul I'll, I'll tell you why what happens if i preach a gospel contrary to the one that's scriptural what can you do a london city presbyterian church if i go astray and i start preaching nonsense you can go at the elders You can go to these men who are on an equal footing with me and you can complain to them about what you're hearing from the pulpit. And maybe you look back at me and say, well, we can do that in certain Baptist churches and we can do this in that church and we can do it. Great! What happens if all the elders go straight? Do you see? What happens if if these men don't have the, the gumption, the... Will to take me on when I preach something astray, or they don't want the fight. What can you do in a Presbyterian church? You can always appeal to a higher court. You always have the presbytery, that that body of elders meeting together, forming this higher authority, it exists to safeguard and protect the truth of Holy Scripture that's why this is important so we value presbyterianism we must do more than we do second thing we've got to do ready for it you'll not like it we must submit to presbyterianism we don't like that word do we 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 don't like it thinking back to our wedding uh, again the minister at the ceremony preached on submission and it did not go down well with a lot of of, of my non-Christian friends that, that day at all. We don't like the idea of submission. Then listen to this one verse from Hebrews 13. The writer's writing about the church and he says to us, me, and you, and he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now practically, how do we do that? How do we submit? How do we obey? Well, here is a suggestion for you. If you're a Christian in here this morning and you are regularly attending London City Presbyterian Church, then I would encourage you to ensure that you are in membership of London City Presbyterian Church. Membership of this congregation. And I'll tell you why. How can you possibly <laughs> comply with the biblical imperatives to submit to your leaders if you have not first committed to having those leaders over you in the Lord? But if you are a membership of London City Presbyterian Church, is this not what we must do? We must seek to be willing to be led by our elders. And we hate that idea. I mean, we're filled with pride. And we resist this idea that people have oversight over us. We live in this individualistic society. We despise that idea. But it is what God sets out for us, for our best. And he sets it out in his words. And then I close with this. So we should value Presbyterianism. We should submit to Presbyterianism. But believe it or not, (laughs) I firmly believe that we should praise God for Presbyterianism. I don't know what you're thinking about this this morning. I know that I have really struggled with this for the last two weeks as I was stuck in the snow of Scotland. I felt that this was too technical in a sense. Really, I just expected foolishly, naively, that just people would sleep through this. Like nobody wants to hear about the governance of the church. My wife will uh, I attest to the fact that we have prayed about this and worried about this all week. Do you think it's boring? Then I realized, why, it's anything but boring. What do you see when you look at this? You see how God must regard you today. Think about this the New Testament is chocked full of teaching about the governance and the eldership of the church. I mean, there's hardly anything in the New Testament about congregational singing. There's hardly anything in the New Testament about arranged corporate evangelistic events. (laughs) And yet, there's everything. The New Testament crammed full of stuff about Presbyterianism and governance and everything. What does that say about God? What does it say about you? In the eyes of God, it surely teaches you that God loves you so much. To have this church with all of this information, God surely must care immensely for your ongoing spiritual care. And So if we're going to praise God for Presbyterianism, We must praise God for how I started this service today. Remember what it was? What did we say? That Christ is king of his church. The elders are not kings of the church. Presbyteries are not kings of the church. That Christ is the great and good shepherd, isn't he? He is the elder. And that is why all of this is important. Why do we need to organize the church according to biblical criteria? Why is it important? So that we are best placed to reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in London. That's why Presbyterianism is important. That's why the church governance is important. So that we are best placed to take the good news of salvation, forgiveness for sin through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to take that message to a lost a dead and perishing, dying world. That's why... We are a Presbyterian church. That's why it's important. That is why the church governance is key. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the message of reconciliation that you have entrusted to your church. Lord God, we thank you that we are placed and called to bring this great message of cleansing through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to the city of London. We do pray, Lord God, that you would uh, equip us and help us to do so. We pray that you would help us to uh, serve the elders as the elders seek to serve us. That you would help us to be humble, Lord God. That you would give us servant hearts. That you would give us such a love the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would diminish and Christ would increase. And uh, we do pray, Lord, in heaven, with wonder at your care for us, that you, the great God of the universe, would care for dust as ourselves. We do praise you and we worship you. And we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of these things. Amen.